0: You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry, or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you've got a Bible, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be in verses, there you are, 25 through 34 this morning. Matthew six twenty-five through 34. Uh, as you're turning there, I'll introduce myself. If you're new, my name is Jamin. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you chose to worship with us here at Citizens this morning. If you're watching online, wherever you are, however long you've been doing that, uh, welcome. We're, we're glad you're worshiping with us. Uh, this is our second week in um, this section of scripture in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in Jesus's sermon for several weeks now, and uh, we're spending uh, two weeks uh, considering what Jesus has to say in verses 25 through 34. And he's having a really important conversation, a really timely conversation around anxiety. Uh, Sometimes when I think about how to start a sermon, uh, I will think about, you know, the work that I'll need to do so that we see how relevant what God's going to say is for us. And on a Sunday like this and a passage like this, that work of relevance is just not even needed because of of how self-evident the need is. As Jesus talks about anxiety, we are an anxious people. We talked last week, just statistically, it's an age that's filled with a lot of anxiety. And, And the reality is Jesus's words are timely, always timely because they're true, but they're also timely because of how rampant this kind of wrestle with worry and anxiety is. And so... Um, Christians are not immune to that. And that's what, that's what we, we, we heard last week and remembered last week. We're not immune to that. 2,000 years ago, Jesus had anxious disciples. 2,000 years later, he has anxious disciples. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the <laughs> Lord. Yeah. This week's going to be really closely connected to, to last week. If you missed last Sunday, I need you to go listen. There might be some questions that that as we walk through some questions that you have that that we're not going to answer because we answered last week. But I do want to begin and just spend about ten minutes returning to some things that, that are really, really important uh, that, that we learned last week. Uh, one of those things and I want to start with this is just the tension that exists around this issue of anxiety and and let me just name that tension. Um, the word in the experience of anxiety is really loaded, especially now in our time. It, it captures so much. It holds so much of how we're describing our life. And people experience anxiety in a, lot of, in a lot of different ways. And so there is an anxiety that we experience as Christians, as people, that's connected to sin struggle. It's connected to a a fear of the future. It's connected to desire for control, uh, this subtle belief that we are God, and we'll return to all of that. But there's also uh, a kind of anxiety that's a form of suffering, and it's a suffering of the mind. It's physiological suffering. It's anxiety that can come into our lives, not because of our sin, but actually sin committed against us. There's an anxiety that's associated with trauma. And so because anxiety can exist on that kind of pendulum, because it can exist where it's a sin, str- on one side there's a sin struggle, on the other side there's a suffering and a suffering of the mind, because that reality, it, it makes it incredibly complex. And so what won't do, what we can't do, is to try to hyper-spiritualize this issue or, or oversimplify this issue with, with statements like, too blessed to be stressed, right? That, that's uh, fine on a coffee cup, right? But, but that's really, really hollow when you're sitting across from somebody who is trying to faithfully pursue Jesus and they're experiencing the blurred lines of sin and suffering in their own mind and heart and that makes peace feel really far away, right? If if you have that coffee cup, no shame, right? Don't be anxious about that. That's not the point. (laughs) The point is this, that because this can be a complex, for, for any individual person, it's a complex combination of sin and suffering, some will need help that others don't. Uh, That might mean medical help. Some may need specialized counseling that others don't. And no one should feel shame for that. No one should feel shame for that. Remember, Jesus does not expect you to live someone else's life with obedience. He just expects you to live yours. And he is patient with how complex that might be. Those who, uh, for you, anxiety is really high on the suffering side. Maybe the most important thing for you to hear or even remember about Jesus is that he invites the weary to come to Him. It's the heavy laden that He wants to come in close to Him because He's gentle. And I think part of that gentleness of our Savior is not being dismissive of or oversimplifying the parts of our life that are tangled and messy and complex. And so I hope that was clear last week. I hope it was clear again this week because it's really important. But there's another side of that tension. And here's the other side. While some might need different kinds of help, no one needs less than Jesus. No one needs less than Jesus. Of all the words about anxiety, if you are a Christian, of all the words out there about anxiety, you don't just need to know his. His have to matter the most to you. They have to weigh the most towards your worries and in your heart. There's a great danger right now with all the voices out there to com- This is true in every issue of the Christian life, but, but I think uniquely around this one, there's a danger for us to compartmentalize our formation as Christians, uh, to compartmentalize our discipleship where parts of our lives are the lives where we let Jesus speak into those things and we care about his words on those things, but there's other parts of our lives that are shamed and, uh, shaped and formed by surrounding culture and surrounding voices. And, and my brothers and my sisters, I need you to know no one's words compare to Jesus. No one's. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. There is no journey towards peace. There's no journey towards uprooting worry and anxiety from our life that doesn't begin with, stay with, and end with Jesus. And so if you struggle with worry and anxiety and you don't know what Jesus says about that, he brought you here this morning because he loves you and he wants you to hear his words. If you struggle with worry and anxiety, and like me, you easily forget what Jesus says about it, he brought you here this morning because he loves you and he wants you to remember He starts the conversation this way. This will sound familiar if you were here last week. In verse 25, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So he gives the command, do not be anxious. And then he's going to list the anxieties of the crowd that's right in front of him. They are a lower class, low income crowd. They are worried about things like food and clothing. And Jesus doesn't say to them, don't care about these things, right? Uh, Anxiety is not caring about things that God cares about. It's not that. He teaches his disciples to pray Give us this day our daily bread because he cares that they eat and he wants them to care that they eat. He cares that they're clothed and he wants them to care that they wear clothes, right? So what anxiety then is not caring about good things or, or having a godly right desire for good things. Anxiety is when that care is overrun by something, by two things. When that care is overrun by fear and then a desire to control where we can't control. That's why Jesus says, live today, Uh, don't worry about tomorrow, because you live today, you can't live in tomorrow. We said last week, it's like the music that plays, what anxiety so often is, is it's like the music that plays in the movie right before something really bad happens. So I thought of this this week again, uh, Carrie and I, if we watch TV late at night uh, after the kids are in bed, we have to keep the volume down really low because we have a really light sleeper in our home. And, uh, bedtime is like a four hour process in the roller house. I don't know how, but it always is anybody. Okay. And thank you, brother. Um, and so there's very few things as defeating as a child waking up after you have finally got them to sleep, right? It's why the most offensive thing you could do to the rollers is ring our doorbell after eight o'clock at night, right? It's just like, please don't have our kids sleep schedule memorized, right? That's not too much to ask. So what we do is if we watch TV, we don't want to wake them up, we'll uh, we'll do the closed caption. We'll turn closed caption on. And on our TV, you know, the dialogue just comes in bold, but anytime there's something that plays in the background, it shows up in parentheses to tell you that it's in, it's in the background. Any music that plays in a scene will play in, in the parentheses. And so we're watching a show and there's like piano music playing, but they didn't just say piano music playing. The parentheses will pop up and it says gentle music playing. And what that tells you is there are Pleasant things happening in this scene. You can expect good things, right? We're watching a show, I guess it was maybe Wednesday night, and the scene changed and the parentheses pop up. I can barely hear it because we keep it down really low. And in the parentheses it says ominous music playing. And what does that mean? Oh, no. Your, your favorite character is about to die. And you knew it, but you didn't want it to happen, and now it's about to happen, right? The ominous music says that the next action in the story is something bad. There's suffering coming, there's loss coming, there's something scary that's coming, and and the music hints towards that. And what anxiety often is in our life is when next to our life, next to good things in our life, next to the unknown things in our life, we put in parentheses the ominous music. We assume the ominous music. Some some parenthetical place in our mind and heart, this music plays and it says something bad is going to happen. And the difference, what makes anxiety so unique is the differences between us and the movie is that we are deciding on the background music before we actually know the script. We don't know the future. The future is unknown to us. We don't know the next scene. And so what we do is we infuse our fears into the future and we hear this ominous music and just believe about so many things in our life. Something bad is going to happen. Oh, no. No. It's assuming future, or assuming suffering. And some listening to Jesus 2,000 years ago, his disciples 2,000 years ago, they heard that music around a few things in their life. They heard the ominous music around their food and they heard it around their clothes. And it was, oh no, I won't eat tomorrow. I ate today, but something bad's gonna happen and there will be no food tomorrow. Uh, I will be unclothed tomorrow. I've got clothes today, but something bad's gonna happen and I'll be exposed tomorrow. And for us, maybe the list of worries is different. It's not food and clothes in the same way, but we so often will fill in those parentheses with our fearful assumptions about the future. And so next to my health, ominous music plays. And next to my kids and their future, there's this ominous music that plays. And next to my company and my singleness and maybe my troubled marriage, there's this ominous music playing. And so part of what anxiety is, is it's that fear filling in the future with what we don't know. And then the other side of it is we always respond to that fear of what we don't know by trying to prevent that future with control we don't have. Filling in fear of the future in ways that we don't know because we're not in the future. We're in today, not tomorrow. And then responding to that by trying to prevent it with control that we don't have. And because we don't have that control, what are we left to do? Worry. Be anxious. Be afraid. And that's what Jesus says don't do. Don't fill in what we don't know about the future with our fears. Don't try to prevent the future with control we don't have. Don't be anxious about your life. And then what he did is he started to minister to us with a few questions that he asks, really just trying to Uh, get us to question our anxiety and really lean in closer to him. He asks questions like, is life not more than food and clothing? Isn't life about more than the things that you could actually stand to lose? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? He says there is no reward for worry. It can't protect you. What worry can't do is it can't protect you from what you fear because so much of what we fear is out, out of our control. But it also cannot prepare you for what you need if what you fear actually happens. Worry does not forge character. And what do you need for suffering? You need character. And you're not going to get that from worry. You're going to get that from Jesus. And I love the the last one that we saw. He said, are you not more valuable than they? It's our reminder that because we matter to God even more than birds and more than flowers, we will be okay because we matter to him. So we'll pick up where we left off. Look at verse 30. Jesus is going to continue the conversation around anxiety, and he's going to connect our anxiety to something. It's really important to see. Verse 30 says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Hold on to that. We'll come back to that. O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, hold on to that. The Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And here's Jesus' punchline. Here's the the, thread that he ties around the whole conversation. Here's his conclusion to everything he said. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Just draw a few things out that we just heard Jesus say. He passes a... um, a definition. He, he describes anxiety uh, underneath the anxiety. He describes what's going on in the world of our worry. He says, oh, you of little faith. What he doesn't mean is he doesn't mean you're not actually a Christian. That's not what he means. He, he's not even saying that your faith is failing. When he says little faith, what it means is uh, it's an amount of faith. There's something about the faith that you claim to have that's not coming out in your life. It's not evident in your life. So while you're anxious, while you're worried, there's something about your faith that is hidden, that is unseen, that's not being manifest in your life. And then he says this. He says the Gentiles seek after these things. What a Gentile is, is a Gentile is someone who doesn't know God, uh, doesn't believe in God, at least doesn't, doesn't believe in the God of the Old Testament. And then the gods that a Gentile does believe in, if they believe in gods at all, they are fickle gods. They're the kinds of gods that have no interest in the needs of humanity, no interest in the anxieties of humanity. And so then Jesus gets to his conclusion. It's this turn. and It begins with this marker. But do not be anxious. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Here's what Jesus is doing. So important. Worry and anxiety, at least as we've defined it, as Jesus has described it. What Jesus is saying is that anxiety assumes... God's absence in your life. Worry assumes God's absence in the world. Jesus ties our anxiety to that kind of lie. It ties our anxiety to that kind of unbelief. If That's the root of anxiety. He says the Gentiles do this. This is what little faith looks like. Faith that's not coming out of your life. What it looks like is it looks like filling in what we don't know about the future with our fears and then trying to prevent that future with control we don't have. What's the undergirding assumption about that? As I'm uh, reading the ominous music into my life, oh, no, something bad's going to happen. This sounds of dread in my soul that I'm projecting into the things even that I love. The undergirding assumption, the lie embedded in those fears is that God is absent. He's not real, or if he is real, he's not really here, or he doesn't really care. And so that's the problem underneath the problem. It's why Jesus points us to the solution. And hear me, what, what he doesn't say is he doesn't say, don't be anxious, be happy. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Instead, you know, pursue some sort of existential feeling of contentment. He says none of those things. He says, don't be anxious about your life. Seek first the kingdom. If underneath our worry and anxiety is this assumption that God is absent, that he's not here, that he's not working, that he doesn't care. What Jesus says, the solution to that is to seek the kingdom. You know why? Because the claim of the kingdom is that God is present. The claim of the kingdom is that God is working. That If you remember, and I hope this sounds so familiar to you, church, if you've been here with us for any length of time, the kingdom is the rule and reign of Jesus, that God is at work in and through the rule and reign of Jesus who lived, who died, who rose, who is coming again, who sent the very spirit of God to be with us and present with us. And the whole sermon that Jesus is preaching is the outworking of the claim that Jesus makes in Matthew chapter four, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so the whole sermon is him describing what life in the kingdom looks like. The kingdom, according to the Bible, according to the narrative of the the biblical story, the kingdom is the world that we've been waiting for, that we live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that's painful. We live in a world that is filled with all kinds of fear. And yet there is a world that the Bible will talk about. There's a world that is coming. There's a world that we're all made for and we all long for that is peace peace and closeness to God, and there is uh, healing, and there is forgiveness, and there is resurrection, and Jesus had the audacity in his life to believe that that world has begun, that he has brought that world that was future, and he has brought it into the present, and it is present in part, not in full, but it is present in part. His earliest disciples had the audacity to believe that the world that we are waiting for has begun, and it propelled them into the world, With hearts filled with peace and filled with courage. And so what Jesus believes is he believes that that, if that's true, that the kingdom is at hand, that in and through Jesus, the world we've been waiting for has begun. What he believes is he believes that to be the greatest comfort for our fears. He says it to his disciples in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom." What do you need to remember when you're worried? What do you need to remember when you're afraid? The kingdom. You need to remember the true story that you belong to. is not the story of consumerism that we're defined by all that we can accumulate. It's not the story of comfort that we're defined by how good our moments do or do not feel. It's the story of the kingdom, that all that is wrong is passing away, and all that is right has begun in and through Jesus. And to belong to that story, to belong to that kingdom, is to belong to the world that will remain and will never fade, and to hold on to a God who is eternal and steadfast. And will never leave or forsake us. And Jesus actually believes that to be the solution for our fears and anxieties. Seek first the kingdom of God. Instead of assuming an ominous future absent of God, seek the kingdom in the present. Live like you believe the world you've been waiting for has already begun. I was reminded this week in thinking about this, just in trying to to think about how to describe and how to uh, maybe conceptualize this. I was reminded of a conversation I had with a friend a few years ago. This friend had adopted a child, beautiful, beautiful child, and was telling me about some of the struggles in all of it and said, you know, it's, it's taking our child a while to believe that what they didn't have as an orphan, they now have as a child. It's taking them a long time. They're really struggling to believe that. And, and, and you can imagine the dramatic change, right, especially at a certain age. There were things, love, uh, provision, family, acceptance, future, all those things missing in large part as an orphan. And they now had those things in their new family with their new parents, but they were so used to those things being in question, even as a child, they felt like, worried like, and were anxious like an orphan. They had the anxieties of an orphan, even though they had been made a child. And this dad asked me to pray. I said, how can I pray for you? And he said, pray for the day when my child thinks like, believes like, and trusts like a child. Do not be anxious about your life. Seek first the kingdom. Part of what Jesus is inviting is for us to live like children, not like orphans. For us to live like the people of God, not like the Gentiles. For us to live like believers, not like atheists. For us to live like citizens of the kingdom that won't end, not like outcasts. And so all of our hopes for the the. the The future of the world, the peace of the world, the rightness of the world is tied up in King Jesus and the kingdom that he has brought and will one day bring to fulfillment. And so it's not don't worry, be happy. It's deeper than that. It's don't worry, the kingdom is here. Seek it. Seek it. That's Jesus's cure. To believe the kingdom is at hand is to turn down that ominous music that assumes a future where God is absent and says, right now, right now, I'm a child and a citizen and a disciple, so I will leave the future to the God who holds the future, and I will seek him and pay attention to his presence in the present because I believe the world that we're waiting for has begun. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean then to seek the kingdom? What I appreciate about it is the honesty that it's not automatic, right? It's not like the matrix. You take one pill and the reality just changes for you, right? It's seek. There's a work that Jesus commands you and I to do to believe that the world that we're waiting for has begun. So what that looks like, uh, this struck me yesterday. Uh, If the sermon is about life in the kingdom and the cure for anxiety is about seeking the kingdom, what that means is the whole sermon, the whole sermon describes the life of a non-anxious person. And so one takeaway could be, let me make sure that, that we're all on the same page. If you think about the person described in the Beatitudes, merciful, a peacemaker, those who mourn, uh, those who are uh, poor in spirit, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that describes the life of a non anxious person. Not a person whose life is free of anxiety, but a person whose life's not ruled by it, but ruled by something else. It's what's made them a peacemaker. It's what's made them poor in spirit. Think about the kind of person who is salt of the earth and light of the world. If they're worried about anything, they're worried about the light of the kingdom of the beloved son shining in the darkness of the current kingdom. Think about the kind of person that has a righteousness that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees. It's a whole person, sincere righteousness. Last week we said worry does not forge character. Uh, What does forge character? Well, Jesus spent a whole chapter telling us it's his word aimed at our hearts. So below our murder to anger, uh, calling us into a deeper love that doesn't just love friends, but love enemies. And so you think about the kind of relational anxiety we have and what Jesus invites us into is a way of loving and forgiving and deep heart change that leads us out of those relational anxieties. Think about the kind of person described at the beginning of chapter 6 who spends time with God, who has a righteous trellis in their life. They're not a hypocrite. And hypocrites are riddled with anxiety over what people think about them or over, uh, you know, offering their performance in front of others so that they receive love and approval from others. And the life described in chapter six is not a hypocrite, but people who have a hidden life, hidden time with God. They pray with their father in secret and they tell him who he is, where he is, what he's worth, what he wants and what we need. So Jesus has already been describing for us in describing what it means to be in the kingdom. He's been describing what it means to seek the kingdom, and that is to seek being a citizen of the kingdom. Seek the kind of kingdom character that used to not be possible, but now is possible because the king of the kingdom died, rose, and is eager to extend sanctifying, saving, justifying grace and mercy to any who seek it and any who ask for it. One outcome could be to just be very practical. One practical step even though this is not the main point of Jesus' sermon, is to read through the whole sermon, knowing that Jesus' cure for anxiety is to seek the kingdom and read the whole sermon as Jesus teaching us how to live in this world as non-anxious people. I wanna give you two uh, passages to consider in addition to that, that I think will ground us if the, if the cure is to seek the kingdom, which is to ground us in the present where God is working, to turn down the ominous music that says there's a future where God is absent. There are two passages that have ministered to me personally that I, that I want to share with you, and they teach us two tools of how to ground us in God's work in the present away from our anxiety. Philippians 4, 6, you probably know this if you've been in church any length of time. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with what? Say it to me. Thanksgiving. Present your request to God. I want to just camp out on those two words, with thanksgiving. The tool that we will need, the thing that will need to be part of our life if we really want to be grounded in God's presence where God is at work, we will need gratitude. Now, gratitude is the fruit of humility, but But here, what Paul commands is to pray and to make our requests known with thanksgiving, with gratitude. This might be a bit anecdotal, but um, the least anxious people I know are the most grateful people I know. The least anxious people I know are the most grateful people I know. People who have learned to pay attention to God's provision and grace and his kingdom in the present, but not just pay attention to it, but they have actively disciplined themselves to give thanks for it. A year ago uh, or so, my son son and I were in the kitchen. And he opens the fridge and he looks at me and he says, he stares at the fridge just blankly for a long time. And he looks at me and he goes, Where's the milk? I shrug. And he looks in the fridge again, and just stares for a while, and then louder he goes, Where is the milk? And I said, Buddy, I, I guess we're out of milk. And his face drops. And then he yells, yells, Mom didn't get the milk? And then he shrugs and says quietly to himself, not to no one. He just says to himself, she must want us to starve. And I told him, I said, son, it is God's grace in your life that your mom is in the other room right now. It's just God's protection over you. Um, What that moment told me, we had a conversation about, is that moment told me that every time he opened the fridge before that time and the milk was there, he didn't think about his mom. Every time he reached for it and it was there, she never came to mind for him. All the times he saw a gallon of milk, what he didn't do is he didn't stop and think, wow, mom provided. Wow, another day where there's milk in the fridge. Wow, she thinks of us so much. Wow, she, she knows our needs. You know how I know he didn't do that? If he had done that the one day when the milk was missing, He would have had all of these moments of gratitude to challenge that one moment. He would have had all of these moments of remembrance. He would have built up these reserves of gratitude to put that moment in perspective or even to make that moment another opportunity to show gratitude, right? Like this never happens. How good is she that most of the time it's not missing, it's there? Now, he's young. He's a wonderful son. Um, That's not a child's problem. That's a human problem. We all do that. All of us do that. All of us neglect to build the reserves of gratitude to God. We only often think of him when something is missing in our life, not when it's present. I think often our anxiety, uh, not always, but maybe often our anxiety is a mixture of two things. You've got two sides of the same coin, and one side of that coin is the fear that we've been talking about. One side is the, the ominous music that plays over our future. And then the other side is entitlement. And that's a recipe for worry. And here's how it works. My thoughts about my life in the future, my my thoughts about my life in the future are what? Something bad's gonna happen. And then my thoughts about my life in the present are, all of this is owed me. I, uh, I earned this, I'm entitled to this. And it's no wonder. So many of us believe he'll be absent in the future when we have taken credit for what he's done in the present. What he's given, what he's provided. We push him out of our present with our pride, and then we're surprised when we don't factor him into our future with our fear. And Paul says, in every situation, how do we remember that God is present? How do we uh, remember that he's working? Paul says, by saying thank you. You Before making our request known, by thanking him, making our uh, thanksgiving known to him for what? For all that he's already done, for all that he's already given. Look, life life is a gift. Life is a gift. Life is not wages earned. Life is a gift given. And any honest attempt to see God in the present, to respond rightly and humbly to God in the present, any honest attempt will learn to thank the giver, will learn to, uh, to not miss his provision and miss an opportunity for his provision to result in our lives and manifest in our lives as praise. Wow, God, this breath that I have. Wow, God, these people that I love. God, this job you've given me. Uh, God, these family members. God, these kids. Wow, God, this church. I don't have to do the Christian life alone. And maybe even, maybe even, God, this pain that I didn't ask for but you counted me worthy to suffer just like you counted Jesus worthy and it's not meaningless and what gratitude becomes is it becomes this important counter to our anxiety an important challenge to our anxiety because if we're thanking God for the good in our life we're remembering that life is a gift from the giver what we do is it reminds us that these anxious feelings are not actually the most important thing in my life These anxious feelings, they don't determine my life. If there's a giver, there's also a sustainer of life so I can exchange my anxious thoughts or at least fight to exchange my anxious thoughts for grateful prayers. I wonder if you'd try that if you don't do that already. Building the reserves of gratitude in your life, becoming an expert on all of the ways that God has shown you grace and love and mercy. Matthew 4 is the other passage. It's Matthew 4, verses 3 and 4. Shortly before the sermon starts in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is tempted by Satan, and we'll end looking at this verse. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you remember, Jesus has been fasting for some time now, and he's hungry. He he needs, objectively, his body needs food in this moment. And Satan comes to tempt him, and, and pay attention to, to what he does. He tries to distort his need for food in a way that becomes worry and anxiety in his life. He tempts Jesus to live as if God is absent. He's trying to play the ominous music over Jesus' hunger. And he puts it this way, if you are the son of God. He's connecting his hunger or trying to connect his hunger to a question of identity And then inviting Jesus out of an anxiety about that or out of worry about that, inviting Jesus to prove. Him wrong. If we go back to last week when we talked about how our worries are so connected to our worth and our own questions about our own value, that's an old play that the enemy has run for a long time and he tries it on Jesus. You're hungry. You have this good need for food and God cares about that need and he tries to interject these whispers of worry and anxiety. It must mean that you're not God's son. And if you're God's son, then turn these stones into bread. And how does Jesus combat that? With the word of God. He models something for us. He quotes Deuteronomy. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's so brilliant, so brilliant. He quotes a verse about living by the word of God and in doing so is himself living by the word of God. And what he's modeling for us is he speaks God's words. He's memorized, he's hidden God's word in his heart. And in that moment of, of potential worry or in that moment that's pregnant with anxiety, he speaks God's words to drive that worry and anxiety away or to, to combat that. Listen, friend, I, uh, just to be incredibly clear, one of my hopes for you this morning is that if you do not do that already, that you would begin doing that today? You already know what your words sound like when you're anxious. You already know. You already know what you say to you when you're worried, and you already know where it gets you when you talk to you about your worries. Often it makes it worse if you're like me. Do you know what God says? H- have you tried? Have you tried allowing God to be the one that does the speaking in those moments? What if God's voice was louder than the ominous music, and you, like Jesus, you spoke His words? Now, it'll take some work. It'll mean having to memorize Scripture, but if you were to make a list of all the things in your life by which the ominous music plays, if you were to list out all the things and in parentheses next to them, so often there's the, something bad's going to happen, oh no, What if you were to find where God speaks to that concern, learn what he says, and then speak his words in those moments, and what I believe it will do, not overnight, not always, not automatically, but what I believe it will do is ground you in the present over time. Uh, I am anxious every single Sunday. I'm anxious every Sunday, and there's a very specific kind of anxiety I feel every Sunday, and it's about this moment right now. Now, Uh, I, I, I like doing this. I really do. I'm comfortable doing this. I'm pretty sure preaching is something I'll do for a long time. At the very least, I know this, I don't have a plan B, so I need plan A to, to work out. Um, and I feel good about it. I don't know if you feel good about it. I feel good about it. Uh, I am still, thank you. But I'm still anxious every Sunday. And it's, gosh, what if I say the wrong thing? Oh, goodness, in this climate, you know, uh, what if I offend somebody? And uh, what if it doesn't come out the way I want it to come out? What if it's not clear? Something bad's going to happen. Ominous music playing. You know what quiets that for me? Uh, Every single Sunday on my drive here, I have a very short drive. We live close. But every Sunday on my drive here, I will pray Psalm 1914 out loud in my car. And I'll just say it to God. It's a psalm my mom made me memorize when I was in trouble as a kid and uh, God had other plans for it for later in life. And, And as the anxious thoughts will swirl, I'll pray Psalm 1914. You know what it says? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Anxious about what to say and how's it gonna be received and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it's diff- because it's God's words, it's different. Uh, it's often in those moments that I, I, have, I have felt like I'm out of words. I don't know what to say. And so there's a safety in speaking the words that God gave us back to him. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, you're present. God, you are the one worth pleasing. God, you are the one that I'll stand before and give an account to. And you are a rock. You're never changing. And you're a redeemer. You're always saving. And I can cast these anxieties at your feet, and I will use your words to do it. And it's not magic. It's not some fast-acting pill, right? I prayed it last Sunday because I was anxious last Sunday. I prayed it this morning because I was anxious this morning. I prayed it twice this morning because preaching on anxiety makes me more anxious, ironically. But... What I don't want you to think is this, what I don't want you to hear is this, and this is a really important, uh, this is a really important aspect of this that I, that I want you to know. I don't want you to think that there's a Bible verse that can make all your anxiety go away if you just find the right one. That's not what I'm saying. What Jesus would lead us into is he's saying that seeking the kingdom, what seeking the kingdom is, is it's believing that one day anxiety is gone forever, Seeking the kingdom is one day, it's gone forever. And so I will war against it today. And how am I going to fight? What are the weapons I'm going to use to war against it? God's word. I'm going to use his word as a sign and an act of faith that says this won't last forever. And maybe there are are moments, hear me, there's a, there's a, a spectrum that happens. Maybe there are moments of supernatural peace that happen. And praise God. And maybe there are moments when the prayers hit the ceiling. And I've felt that. But remember, the goal is not to feel different. It's not. The goal is to seek the kingdom. It's not to feel different. The goal is not happiness. The goal is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so maybe it's messy. And oftentimes what that fight for peace using God's word might look like is it might look and feel a lot like losing. I have, as a child, I have vivid memories of a family member that I love with my whole heart vivid memories of seeing her in the middle of a war against anxiety, in the middle of a war that was a complex combination of sin struggle and suffering of the mind. I remember seeing her with her face buried in the Psalms over and again, pleading with God to hear her cries and grant her peace. And what she was doing was speaking God's words to him from the Psalms. How long, O Lord? You are my portion and my cup. You are an ever-present help in time of trouble. And those desperate moments, gosh, those overwhelmed at the end of myself kinds of moments, it's in spaces like that where I've got nothing left to catch my tears but the pages of my Bible. That's the kingdom, visible, That's what it looks like to seek the kingdom. It says, even though I feel like the deck is stacked against me, I refuse to ignore you, God, and I'm believing you won't ignore me and maybe I don't have the words anymore, so I'll use your words that you spoke and I'll speak those back to you because I want you and I want peace and I want the kingdom, so I'll seek it. I'll seek it, I'll fight Believing that one day anxiety is gone and the world that we're waiting for has already begun. And so I'm going to fight this fight with the words of God. And I wonder if we could do some of that together this morning. I have a hope for our time together um, every Sunday. And that hope is, is is that this time together would be a time where we the people of God receive and respond. That we receive from God and, and we respond to God. We live in a world where there's a lot of places where we sit and watch, and a lot of places where we listen and critique, and a lot of places where we come to be entertained, and this is not one of those, and this is not what that time is for us. What the people of God have done for thousands of years is they've gathered together to receive and respond, and I think us being who we want to be, especially in this moment that, that God has trusted to us, is, is, is coming together collectively with the expectation that what will happen when we gather is that we will receive and respond. And so what I mean, to be very clear, I, I believe God wants you to respond to him this morning in a very specific way. I want to invite us to respond in prayer and together to pray God's words back to him. So would you bow your head and close your eyes? And I just want to name some anxieties that might be in the crowd. I don't know, God knows. But I want to name some of the worries that might be in the room And then I want to give you God's words in response to those worries in hopes that you would learn them and pray them over and over and over again. Are you anxious about finances? Are you anxious about your resources? Are you anxious about what you have? Anxious about things running out? Anxious because things already did. God says in his word, Philippians 4, 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. If that's you, if that's your worry, would you pray that? God, I believe you will supply all of my needs according to the riches of the glory of Christ Jesus. And I trust you, God, God, For that to mean whatever you want it to mean. Are you anxious about not being enough? Maybe you're anxious about not being enough as a mom or not being enough as a parent, not being enough as a friend, not being enough as a spouse, not being enough with your friends. I don't have what they need. Second Corinthians 12, nine says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Are you anxious about not being enough? Would you pray to God? Your grace is sufficient for me. Your power and all the things I'm deficient in, your power is made perfect in my weakness. Are you anxious about how you're doing as a Christian? Thought you'd be further along by now? Thought you'd be over that sin by now? Thought you'd be over that habit or secret now? Philippians 1, 6 says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Maybe you're worried and you're anxious because you're not as mature as you thought you should be, you're not as far along as other Christians are, would you pray, you who began a good work in me will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You who began it will not leave me or forsake me. Are you anxious about the approval of others, being accepted by others, being loved by others? Romans 8:31 What then shall we say in response to these things if God is for us who can be against us Would you pray that Anxious about being rejected anxious about being loved God I'm anxious about those things if you are for me if I have your approval who can be against me Are you anxious about the future Where the world is headed, where culture is headed, where your life is headed. Colossians 1.17 says he is before all things and in him all things hold together. God, I'm anxious about tomorrow. I'm anxious about the world my children will grow up in. You are before all things and you hold all things together. You're before all things and you hold all things together. Are you anxious about being anxious? You're anxious about. Worry just feels like the water that your life exists in most days. And it doesn't feel like it's getting any better. 1 Peter 5 says, Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Can you believe that you can be anxious and cared for all at the same time? Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you not because it's going to get better, not because there's more expected of you, and would you pray that I'm anxious about how anxious I am, and I'm going to cast my anxieties on you. You care about me, God. Are you anxious about the chronic illness you have and your failing health? 2 Corinthians 4 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I'm anxious, God, about the ways my health is failing. Outwardly I'm wasting away. Inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. There is a deterioration happening to my body, but that is not happening to my soul and it's not happening to my heart and I believe inwardly there is a daily renewal and I will, I will hold on to your promises. Are you anxious about death? Anxious about life ending too short? Psalm twenty-seven, thirteen. I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will see the goodness of the Lord. I'm worried about dying. I'm worried about how terminal I am or temporal this life is. And I remain confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There is a future that is sure and steady. And death is not the end for those who hold to Christ. We will see your goodness, O Lord. I pray, God, what you would do in this moment like a a seed planted that you would take your words as a gift to your people and that we would remember what you've said and hold on to what you've said so that we might seek the kingdom today, seek the kingdom now, turn from our worry and anxiety and turn to you. We love you. Amen.